Good evening to you all. Can you hear easily in the back? If you can't hear, raise your hand. Okay. Last night we had a very eloquent talk by Larry talking about compassion and talking about the hindrances and he one of the things that he said about compassion was that compassion was metta which uh, has turned to the acknowledgement of the uh, resonance with suffering and he said compassion is the heart's uh, trembling with resonance with that suffering and containing within it a wish to move forward to relieve suffering, to assist in some kind of way through the goodwill which we find sourced in metta. And it's true that life has much suffering. If you came here to uh, a classic Vipassana retreat, you'd hear teachers talking um, frequently about suffering and the nature of suffering and the Buddha talked about suffering and basically his whole schema, his whole plan or approach deals with the description of suffering and how it arises and how to undo it. So there's plenty of talk of suffering in Buddhism in the interest of pointing out how we cause it by uh, clinging and misunderstanding what's really going on and thus uh, having an unskillful relationship with our experience. But it's important to point out uh, it's not all suffering. You may be relieved to know that at this point. (laughs) So I'd like to start with telling a story. um, And this happened probably a couple of years ago now. I was home visiting my mother, who's 90. And my mother had recently, relatively recently, become a great-grandmother for the first time. So the great-granddaughter, or my grandniece, Jenny, was probably maybe a year and a half old uh, at this period of time. And I was in the kitchen at my mother's house, and my sister was also there. And my sister had her computer out, and she had uh, downloaded this video of Jenny and was showing it to my mother. So the video consisted of this shot of Jenny in this little scooter kind of thing with wheels on it. It had a a little tray and these four wheels that could swivel in a lot of different directions. And so she was in there. And this thing had almost like a dashboard with flashing lights on it, different kinds of flashing lights. And so what happened when you, you know, touched one of the flashing lights. And of course, you know, this, at this age, it's not exactly touching one of the flashing lights. It's like whap on one of the flashing lights. Is It would start flashing more, and then out would come a song. So Jenny slaps this. 
and out comes this song, and it's the the Beatles, old Beatles song, Ticket to Ride, right? So it comes out, she's got a ticket to ride, she's got a ticket to ride, and Jenny's going, ticket to ride. So I'm watching this, and I'm watching my mother, and my mother is like laughing, my mother's like having this complete enjoyment of this. And then I'm watching my sister watch my mother, and my sister is having this big enjoyment of my mother watching this and watching Jenny. And then I'm watching my mother, and I'm watching my sister, and I'm watching Jenny, and I'm having the same experience of happiness and joy that was set off or arose in my heart and mind by watching this happiness. So, you know, in the telling of the story, you may have noticed even in yourself, and I can tell from your faces, like, you kind of got it too, right? (laughs) Or at least a lot of you, you caught it too. You caught the happiness of the description of the experience, which is now this, you know, you're probably about the fifth or sixth level out from the original joy and happiness, So we can catch things from each other in a good kind of way, you know. Uh, We can actually learn to register and resonate with the happiness and good fortune of other beings. And this uh, can come to us in in a way that is a source of joy and happiness um, for ourselves and can be accompanied by the wish, the open-hearted wish, uh, stemming from metta, that this continue. May this continue. May this grow. May this happiness and joy and the circumstances that gave rise to it continue. Met, this is mudita. And this is the third of the Brahma Viharas, or these, as it's translated heavenly abodes, these uh, states of heart and mind that are wholesome and uplifting and which have their, their root in basic goodwill and metta. So this is metta turned towards the happiness and well-being of others. And when our metta turns towards the happiness and well-being of others, when we see that happiness and well-being we can want to endorse it. We can want to keep it going. We can wish for its continuation and even for its magnification. And in that kind of way, we can actually share in the well-being of other people. So there is suffering, of course, but there is also joy and happiness and the pleasures of the senses and the pleasures of the mind and there's worldly success and good fortune and it's true of course in the absolute sense that these things are impermanent and can't last because they're conditioned like everything else but people can be happy and good things can happen to us and to others and we can share in that happiness by letting it register in our own minds in an approving kind of way. And 
You know, if you were going to define mudita or kind of translate what that means, some of the synonyms that are used for this are empathetic joy or appreciative joy or sympathetic happiness or altruistic joy. These, these are all translations of this particular thing. And so to practice this particular quality of mind, this very beautiful quality and uplifting quality of mind, to cultivate it, we need to let the happiness and well-being of other people actually uh, register in our mind. We need to recognize it when we see it and to endorse it in a certain kind of sense to cheer it on, to approve of it. And... The Dalai Lama once said, rather famously, that he was talking about the population of the world at the time. He said, six million people, six million chances for happiness. And there's a lot of different uh, understandings that you could draw from that phrase. One, of course, is we each have some sort of capacity to develop our own sources of happiness and well-being. But another meaning that you could draw from it would be we also have the, the chance to be happy ourselves, to be happy personally by being in wise relationship to the happiness of others, the relationship of supporting that happiness and endorsing it in some kind of organic way. So let me give you some practical examples of mudita because sometimes it can seem hard to ground it in specifics. So I gave you an introductory example when I told the the Ticket to Ride story. But here's some other examples where you've probably experienced this same kind of mind state, but you may not have recognized it as... Uh, mudita, but it probably was. So, seeing someone enjoy a meal you prepared. Right? So, say it's somebody's birthday, and you know what they they tend to like, and you get what they like to eat, and you prepare it for them, and you have them over, and when they're eating the meal, they're enjoying the meal, and at the end of it, you know, they say something to you like, you know, you, re- you remembered what I like. I feel so happy that somebody remembered my birthday. And you feel happy because of it? That's mudita. Or if you're watching your son or daughter get married to someone that you think is good for them. There they go. They're leaving home in a certain kind of way, but you can see they've got somebody good. They've got somebody good. They're happy. And the happiness could arise in your own heart and the seeing of that, which is why so many of my mudita stories take place at weddings. (laughs) Hearing a friend got a job they really needed, right? Right? Somebody who's been out of work for a long time has been 
having a hard time getting something that really fits. Things are really difficult. They've been struggling for a long time and then you hear they've got it. Yes! That yes is mudita. Seeing someone that is respected in your community finally get recognized. Right? Oh, it's, a, it's about time that uh, woman that's done so much with the parent-teacher association has you know, raised all this money for the school so the kids could have field trips or something. It's about time somebody saw that. You know, it's, it's good that she got that visibility. That's mudita. A recent example uh, of this for me, uh, uh, seeing the arising of, of mudita, was seeing the national pride and rejoicing that took place in South Africa when uh, Nelson Mandela passed away. I mean, it was really quite remarkable there was the sadness, of course, with the loss, but it was people were uh, mourning and celebrating at the same time, celebrating the fact that they had had such a leader. And I felt a lot of uh, mudita for the people of South Africa in the seeing of that. Another example could be having someone's health issue resolve and their anxiety turned to relief. You know, somebody you knew that had a tough diagnosis or something and they weren't sure, you know, what could be done and then it, they found a good doctor or it turned out to not be as bad as they thought or something like that. Whew. You know, their anxiety draining away and you're like, oh yes, oh I'm so happy to hear that. It, it's like that for you. Watching your niece score uh, a goal in a big soccer game. Yes. Yes. Go, Alex. Go, Alex. Go, Alex. It's Mudita. There's another example that uh, really I saw recently uh, in a documentary that seemed very powerful to me. And this was, uh, has a story attached to it, but it's, it's a good one. And the documentary was about a woman named Mrs. Daisy Bates. Has anybody heard of this woman? Okay, a few people have heard of her. So um, she w- was a woman who was a very integral part of the civil rights era in the United States, and she was a real pioneer in many ways, but not well remembered now. But the story was, she was the head of the NAACP in Little Rock in 1956, 1957, 1958, kind of in that era, after the Supreme Court in the United States had declared racial segregation in the school's to be unconstitutional. But in the Deep South, the schools were still racially segregated. And uh, Mrs. Bates was an African-American woman who decided that 
not just her, because there's definitely a group of people around her, she decided, okay, this is illegal. The schools are still segregated here in Little Rock. This has got to change. And so she really spearheaded the uh, drive to desegregate the high school there called Central High School. And one of the reasons I uh, was really drawn to this particular story is that it's the earliest memory I have of political things going on. My first political memory as a, as a child. And I can remember my mother watching television, ironing my dad's clothes and shaking her head, shaking her head, shaking her head. And she was shaking her head because this attempt to desegregate the schools met a huge amount of resistance, uh, a huge amount of resistance. And the, what were called the, the Little Rock Nine, the, the uh, high school schoolers uh, who are African-American who were American who were recruited to actually go into this school, um, you know, had to go through a lot. And eventually, it's a long story uh, and well worth checking out for yourself, but eventually what happened was uh, President Eisenhower had to send in the 101st Airborne <laughs> Division, you know, the Army, to, you know, make it safe for these youngsters to, to go to school. And Mrs. Bates was the mentor to these uh, young people as they were going through this uh, incredibly difficult process of keeping it together and, you know, being uh, upright and dignified and, you know, not being crushed by this, staying strong. So she was providing them with a lot of the, the support of a, of, a, of a mentor as well as kind of leading the community uh, the larger uh, African American community to 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 try to handle this with the media and things, and she's a woman of tremendous uh, personal dignity. So when I was watching the the documentary, I was really impressed by how well spoken she was. So at the first graduation of the first student, Ernest Green, he was the oldest, and he graduated the first. She couldn't even attend his graduation because they were afraid that it would cause a riot if she showed up because the feelings were running against her so strong in parts of the white community. So she couldn't even attend the graduation. But as, as this moved forward in time in the documentary, the interview turned to talking to her a number of years later after these young people had graduated from high school. And the reporter uh, said something to her, and, well, and, and how are the Little Rock Nine? And she says, well, they're, they're well. They're doing very well. And this look of, look of happiness comes across her face. And she says, they're, they're going on to further studies. They're doing further studies. And you could just feel the mudita coming from her the joy at their happiness and, and success that she had been such a large part of. And re one of the most uh, poignant parts of this for me was she herself had only an eighth grade education, right? So she had opened the door uh, to these young folk 
for something that she would never directly benefit from. And yet she had, out of metta and out of uh, compassion, made this happen for them and for uh, others as well, continuing well on to, into the future. And when she was asked how they were, you could, you could see it on her face. Oh, they're well. And they've, they've gone on to further studies. And it was like, yes, yes. And this is all an expression of mudita. And shows in uh, another uh, aspect of this how metta, how compassion, how mudita, and how the last Brahma-vihara, equanimity, operate not just on the individual level, but are also part of the collective environment in which social movements can arise and have influence. So these practices are not just for ourselves alone because we are embedded in the larger society and in our own communities. And when we act from these mind states, when we express these mind states, it has an effect beyond our own individual lives. So it's not just about sitting on the cushion even though the seeds of this may be planted and sitting on the cushion. There's more to it. So this mudita. So if you remember how you felt when I was telling the story about Jenny at the beginning, it can have this feeling tone to it that's happy, joyful, uplifted, expansive, connected, generous, rejoicing, Uh, There's enough. There's enough is the attitude of mind. So there can be happiness internally and externally with a recognition and an appreciation of the upside of things. And when this is strong, you can almost feel like you're drafting or kiting on uh, the good things that are happening to other people. And the mind is, is not comparing it its state to that of others, but it's just going with the happiness that it, it's seeing in another. So it's kind of a you-go-girl mind. So it ratifies it, it cheers it on in its way of approving and endorsing happiness and good fortune. You know, so you can almost get a kind of a contact high sometimes when this state is strong. So you're feeling the same joy that you're seeing. So another way to put it is those, those uh, mirror neurons that uh, neuroscientists talk about are firing away. Or uh, as the Buddha might say, you're, you're recognizing uh, uh, an emotional state internally and externally. You're recognizing someone's external uh, emotional state and you're feeling it yourself. So some of the things that support mudita, of course, are metta, as I said. That's the wellspring of of the other uh, Brahma-viharas. Gratitude and generosity. This mind is recognizing, well, I've got resources too. I receive things from life too. Maybe it's not consciously Uh, remembering that at the time it's practicing mudita or experiencing mudita. But certainly that's part of the the context 
of being able to feel happiness and joy. And there can be rapture and delight. As with metta and compassion and equanimity, there also are near and far enemies to mudita. So if, uh, if you were going to guess what the near enemy of mudita is, which means it's kind of, feels kind of the same, in some ways it's kind of the same, but it's not exactly, not exactly right. You would say it would be a kind of over-exuberant, uh, state that it gets out of control and doesn't have mindfulness and, and balance in it. So um, let's put it this way. You know that movie, The Bachelor Party? <laughs> Any of you see that or see trailers for it? That, that's kind of what's being described. So you, you go to the wedding, you're really happy for the couple, you're, you're enjoying their happiness uh, you drink too much champagne, you swing from the chandelier, and you know the next morning you wake up and you're in the bathtub. Okay, so that's the, that's the near enemy. The mindfulness is gone. Um, the equanimity, you know, went away. You know, another example of this would be, uh, for instance, a sports team winning a big tournament or something, and the, the fans are... Uh, so excited they tear down the the goal posts and you know and then they go outside and start turning over cars and right I mean it goes from something that um, had perhaps an initial seed of wholesomeness and happiness and happy that the team is happy that the team won and turns into something that eh, has taken a detour and in a not so good direction. That's the near enemy. So if you're going to say what the far enemy of this is, then you would say the far enemy of this would be things like uh, avarice, which is the mind wanting to get and keep things, envy, jealousy, and the craving they stem from. So when the mind is like this, under the influence of the far enemies of mudita, somebody's getting something or has something, and the recognition that they have and they do stirs up the comparing mind and or ill will and or craving. Right? So the mind's reaction to seeing someone's happiness or well-being or becoming aware of their good fortune is not to be happy at the happiness of others, but to actually experience a state of suffering uh, when that knowledge of good fortune or happiness registers. And it's interesting that this Brahma-vihara of mudita is considered to be the most difficult to practice. Would you have guessed that? The most difficult to practice. And... Yeah, you can kind of wonder why. Well, if it's happy and it's uplifting, what's the problem? 
And there are a number of reasons why this can be a big challenge, and I'll, I'll just start with some of the the ones that seem really pertinent to me. But first of all, you know, we do share some tendencies with other animals. So recently, with the cold weather, I, I put out a bird feeder at my house. So if you've ever watched the action around bird feeders, you know that uh, they're not necessarily into sharing and they're not necessarily into taking turns, right? There's a survival thing going on and it's every bird for himself. It was a little bit like watching the... uh, 5 a.m. opening at Best Buy the day after Thanksgiving or something, right? People aren't saying, oh, please, you first. Yes, your child needs a computer, please, take this one, right? So, you know, sometimes we're not so different from, from animals in that You know, we do compete for mates and for food and for opportunities and for status. And, you know, you may have noticed for yourself, you know, you can even have competitive feelings come up on retreat. Have you noticed that? It's like, they come up and you go, God, I'm so terrible. I'm having competitive feelings on retreat, you know. It's It's like, oh, that person seems, oh, she's so peaceful. You know, or that person hardly moves at all. You know, they must really be concentrated. I bet they're feeling meta. You know, so we have this tendency to uh, to compare, right? Sometimes we can even get into like competing to to see who can walk the slowest or the most <laughs> quiet. You know, it's been known to happen. Even with some well-known Dharma teachers, have I've heard that story from. Um, so, you know, you'd have to know that the IMS staff dining room is the site of some very competitive board games. <laughs> and, you, and those of you on staff know that, that this is true. So, you know, it's, and, and they're all in fun and everything, but it's a way of pointing out that some of these underlying tendencies towards competition are present in all of us, even with the Buddhists at IMS. Um, So another way to think about some of the challenges in practicing mudita is that to practice mudita, you're you're turning your awareness to somebody else's happiness and good fortune, right? I said that earlier. That's the definition of the whole thing. And to cultivate this, you need to be aware of what other people have in terms of happiness and good fortune, or at least make some kind of educated guess about it, right? So the comparing and contrasting mind can arise really strongly uh, in, in that kind of exercise. And it can be very painful when there's attachment and aversion that comes up, and it can come up really strongly. So to talk about some of the ways that this can come up. So... So the mind can be critical about what makes other people happy because it's not your thing. So an example of this would be something like, well, 
Do you ever see on on television uh, one of these stories about somebody who does something like takes uh, toothpicks and makes a spends six years making a scale model of Manhattan, you know, complete with all the stop signs and the, you know, the traffic lights and all the side streets and everything. And you say to yourself, oh my God, what is wrong with that guy that he spent six years doing something like that? Right? Some of you might say, he did. <laughs> where, where, can I, where can I find that? You know, <laughs> I'd like to do that too. But you know, for a lot of, a lot of people, that's, that's probably, you know. And yet, consider, it's, he's not doing anything unwholesome. I mean, he's not hurting anybody. He's not doing anything bad. He's doing something and he's actually happy. So, you know, can we be happy that he's happy that, you know, he's done before he runs out of glue or <laughs> so the other thing that can come up is you know this, the comparing mind can arise really strongly so uh, he he's he's got more than me she she's got more than me he's already got enough he doesn't he doesn't need that um, you know why don't why don't I have that so the craving or the wanting uh, internally can arise when we realize that somebody's got something. Oh, you know, sh- she she's she's engaged already, and you know she's two years younger than I am, and right, I don't have anybody, and that kind of thing. So another obstacle can actually be dislike of the person. Somebody is not our favorite or maybe somebody that we actually have ill will will towards. And with this basic lack of goodwill, we really don't actually want them to be happy. I mean, we don't necessarily want them to suffer. I mean, we're not like that bad. Like, you know, we really hope something horrible happens to them. Couldn't, you know, live with the guilt of that, but... You know, if if they were like maybe a little bit not not so happy, that would kind of sit a little bit better, <laughs> right? So that's that's a meta problem, a meta deficit problem, where we're not able to carry that basic goodwill towards somebody uh, who, for us, is a difficult person in one way or another. Uh, another impulse that can be there too in relationship to others is um, the knock 'em down syndrome, you know, kind of the crab in the bucket syndrome. They seem to be getting ahead, you know, they're getting ahead. This is actually a, a syndrome with crabs, apparently, in buckets. <laughs> it's a real thing. You know, if you have crabs in buckets, one of them will get start to climb up and will nearly get to the top, and the other other crabs will, like, grab them and pull them down. <laughs> now, if they were meta-infused, they could kind of, like, hang off the rim and, like, you know, do a little crab ladder, and they could all get out of the bucket, but no. 
but you know we as we as humans <laughs> have this same have this same tendency sometimes right like people in our our group are getting ahead and and we're not or people in our profession are getting promotions and and we're not and that's the way it can feel so then there's the the envy thing that can come up really strongly I can remember this this uh, thing that happened to me when I was a kid, and um, I really wanted a bike. I really wanted a bike. I was maybe second grade or something, second grade, and uh, kind of out of the blue one day, my father came home and he had three bikes with him, one for me and one for each of my sisters. And they were like, I guess he was thinking I was going to wind up being tall because they were oversized, right? They were like, you know, for an adult kind of person. So, you know, I was this little, trying to ride the, you know, the the bike. But I was so happy because they were English racer bikes. That's what they used to call them, English racer bikes, meaning they had three gears, a little thing on the handlebar, and they had those brakes that you, you know, and not only that, my dad bought me streamers <laughs> for the handlebars. Right? So I had the full rig, and I was, and it was a beautiful blue, and I was beside myself with happiness at this. So on some of my initial runs, I was riding it behind the housing development where we lived. And I was riding it up and down this back kind of dirt access road there. And one of the neighborhood kids, boy about my age, saw me riding by with the bike and he took this stick and he stuck it in the spokes. And of course the bike, you know, flipped and fell down and, you know, I was all, (laughs) I was kind of messed up. Uh, and, uh, you know, bloody and stuff. But I was the most upset about the fact that my bike was broken. And I can remember, like, half pushing, half carrying it back home and crying and crying uh, because of the bike, you know, and telling my dad, who had a talk with the boy's father, (laughs) uh, and the bike did get fixed. So it wasn't like a permanent tragedy or or anything, but... um, but you know, it's it's like it was like classic. I mean, I even at the time I knew what actually had happened. That you know, something about seeing somebody with a new bike when he didn't have a bike, you know, just wanted. You know, he couldn't get what he he wanted to have one. He couldn't get what he what he wanted, and so he just kind of like, right. And sometimes we can kind of feel that way. <coughs> And, of course, uh, a last thing that's probably an obstacle to mudita is the failure to recognize that it is actually, uh, that good, good things are actually going on for people. So I had uh, somebody tell me recently that she didn't know any happy people. You know, and this could be a realistic um, thing under some circumstances. Maybe there isn't anybody that you, 
immediately springs to mind as being like, oh, yes, they're so happy, they have such good fortune, they have such well-being, they have, you know. But that could be a, a little bit, uh, a little bit too much expectation that happiness, good fortune, well-being, success has to look like something lit up in lights and huge and exceptional and all the rest of it. Because if you really think about it, it is fairly easy to find examples of some kind of happiness, some kind of good fortune, some kind of well-being in things like uh, apparent relative health of body and or mind, relative health, maybe not perfect, uh, professional success, ease of well-being, uh, positive or skillful or wholesome aspects of someone's personality, some kind of experience of someone overcoming difficulty, or having uh, a network of family or friends. So we can find things if we incline the mind in that kind of way, and they don't have to be exceptional and remarkable things. Uh, we can learn to recognize them. I- interestingly, the Olympics, if you want, well, you probably didn't watch too much of that coverage. Um, <laughs> but before you came here, if you watch some of that coverage, if you notice how they, they create... Um, the circumstances for Mudita to arise. So that, like, go into the backstory of the athletes about, you know, this person was a sickly child who, you know, could hardly walk and their mother got them into skating to strengthen their weak ankles or something and now they're, right? Right? So, so you understand what went into it. And so Mudita, happiness set, at their uh, their success can easily easily arise. So, just a few things about some discernment in relationship to mudita. So, this practice, like the other Brahma Viharas needs to be contextualized within the Eightfold Path as a totality. So what do I mean by that? Well, the, the Eightfold Path is um, the Buddha's uh, practice path to help us liberate our, our minds. So it's his method his practical method of how to liberate the mind and has a number of different dimensions and one of them is what's called sila which is ethical conduct or ethical training which inclines the mind towards non-harming. So when we took the five precepts at the beginning of the retreat we were practicing sila and you, you kind of got an idea of the line of thinking in relationship to the ethical training. So it's no not killing, not taking what isn't offered, uh, not speaking harshly or falsely, not using intoxicants, not uh, harming others uh, through our use of sexual energy, right? So it's that kind of bringing consciousness to our actions of body, speech, and mind in the interest of our own well-being and others. So when we're practicing mudita or when we're 
trying to understand its parameters, we have to remember that mudita is within the Eightfold Path and within the context of sila. So these are examples where mudita is not (laughs) an appropriate response. Um, So you wouldn't want to be saying, may you continue to avoid paying child support. Okay? (laughs) Or may you continue to enjoy the profits of despoiling the earth. Or may you continue to increase your compensation by dropping your employees' health care coverage. Right? (laughs) And yet, having said that, you know, that this this would not be... uh, a proper uh, way to practice mudita, it's still possible even with those individuals that we uh, hold as difficult or problematic for reasons of sila or for other reasons, there's still a way that we can practice mudita in relationship with them. And that would be to focus on something about them that is wholesome or is morally neutral. Uh, right? Like, uh, may your good health continue or uh, may may your family be at peace. Uh, uh, right? So you can still find a corner, <laughs> even though it might be <clears throat> difficult. And, and this, again, is an example of how we would progressively push out the boundaries of our capacity to feel... Uh, joy and happiness at the success and well-being of others. So just to conclude with this, you can see that this is a surprisingly difficult and challenging practice, but it has a great reward possible if we can learn to incline the mind in this way because it opens up joy and it opens up connection with other people so that instead of us experiencing their success as something to be to be threatened threatening to us we can instead incorporate their success in a certain kind of way into our own sense of well-being so let me read you a few last examples here of uh, everyday mudita and then close with a story. So this is uh, a story from today. Uh, Recently a basketball uh, player, professional basketball player called Jason Collins, who is the first openly gay basketball player in the NBA, was signed by the Brooklyn Nets, and they played the L.A. Lakers on the L.A. Lakers home court and beat them, which is not that easy. And Kobe Bryant said, practicing mudita, it's fantastic, it sets an incredible precedent. Go Kobe. So Kobe was feeling the mudita, and I was feeling the mudita here in Kobe. So I got uh, 
today in the mail I got this, this note from somebody who was on a retreat. And this caused me to uh, feel much mudita for this person's happiness. So uh, there are not enough words to explain how much this experience means to me. Thank you with unlimited gratitude. It was a meta retreat too, just to reassure you. <laughs> then uh, I got this postcard from my sister. So she sent it to me on this watercolor paper that I actually give her every Christmas. Right, so she's working on a re- watercolor. She's retired now. So she and my brother-in-law are, are uh, down in Florida. So she said, head. Uh, have had quite a bit of mist, fog, and clouds, but certainly no snow. Went to Jekyll Island, Georgia for the day and found it to be a very beautiful place. Put it on your list if you haven't been there yet. It's 76 degrees today. (laughs) (laughs) And the the last story is... uh, This is... uh, actually an obituary from a woman who passed away in September. She was 85 when she died, and her name was uh, Mary A. Pink Mullaney. She had six children and 17 grandchildren. So this is what they, they wrote about her that caused, and you can feel their mudita, in relationship to their mother, and it caused Mudita to arise in me, and see how, if Mudita arises for you, maybe it will, maybe it won't. If you're about to throw away an old pair of pantyhose, stop. Consider Mary Agnes Mullaney, you probably knew her as Pink, who entered eternal life on Sunday. Her spirit is carried on by six children, 17 grandchildren, three surviving siblings in New Jersey, and an extended family of relations and friends from every walk of life. We were blessed to learn many valuable lessons from Pink during her 85 years among them. Never throw away old pantyhose. Use the old ones to tie gutters, child-proof cabinets, tie toilet flappers, or hang Christmas ornaments. (laughs) Quite a tree. Also... If a possum takes up residence in your shed, grab a barbecue brush to coax him out. If he doesn't leave, brush him for 20 minutes and let him stay. <laughs> let a dog or two or three share your, bre- your bed. Say the rosary while you walk them. Go to church with a chicken sandwich in your purse. Cry at the consecration every time. Give the chicken sandwich to your homeless friend after Mass. Go to a nursing home and kiss everyone. When you learn someone's name, share their patron saint story and their feast day so they can celebrate. Invite new friends to Thanksgiving dinner. If they're from another country and you have trouble understanding them, learn to listen with an accent. (laughs) Never say mean things about anybody. They are souls to pray for. Put picky-eating children in the box at the bottom of the laundry chute. Tell them they're hungry lions in a cage and feed them veggies through the slats. (laughs) 
Correspond with the imprisoned and have lunch with the cognitively challenged. Do the jumble every morning. Keep the car keys under the front seat so they don't get lost. Make the car dance by lightly tapping the brakes to the beat of songs on the radio. Offer rides to people carrying a big load or caught in the rain or summer heat. Believe the hitchhiker you pick up who says he is a landscaper and his name is Pete Moss. (laughs) Help anyone struggling to get their kids into a car or shopping cart or across a parking lot. Give to every charity that asks. Choose to believe the best about what they do with your money no matter what your children say they discover online. (laughs) Allow the homeless people to keep warm in your car while you're at Mass. Take magazines you've already read to your doctor's office for others to enjoy. Do not tear off the mailing label, quote, because if someone wants to contact me, that would be nice. (laughs) In her lifetime, Pink made contact time after time. Those who have taken her lessons to heart will continue to ensure that a cold drink will be left for the overheated garbage collector and mail carrier. Every baby will be kissed. Every nursing home resident will be visited. The hungry will have a sandwich. The guest will have a warm bed and soft nightlight. And the encroaching possum will know the soothing sensation of a barbecue brush upon its back. So there's the woman, and you, you can see the, the metta, the mudita, the gratitude, the, the joy, the appreciation. Uh, for her life and how she was. So may the mind state of mudita arise in you to be known and recognized and may it grow and flourish. Let's sit for just a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.